You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. The passage that we have this morning is, I mean, a little intense, isn't it? I mean, when you see the list, the description of all of these kinds of people, it almost gives, uh, it almost gives a little bit of evidence to some ways that the world thinks of Christians, right? They're always looking down on others. They're always calling them all sorts of names. They don't care about people. They just want to call them liars and gluttons and slanderous people, and they just sort of trod them down. They don't listen to them. They don't care, and they just think of themselves holier than thou. In fact, it seems almost like that's what Paul does. After describing an entire list of what these people are like, and he says, avoid them, he then says, but me, you know what I've done. You know all of the good things that I've done, the life that I've lived. And even though I've been persecuted, I've kept the faith. And you, Timothy, you're like me. Well, if we read it with that kind of tone, I mean, it really does make sense of the way that the world views us. And... If we're honest, sometimes the way that we view ourselves, that we are better than them, that we have done something more, something to achieve a level of goodness that they have yet to achieve. It's almost as though we look at ourselves like God saved us, but if He didn't get there, we kind of would have found a way on our own. In fact, I think some of us at times look around the world to find ways that we might be able to make it on our own. We've been given the gospel, we've been given the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done, but sometimes we, we buy into the latest fad, or we believe that there might be something, some way that we might achieve significance or purpose or meaning in a way that's apart from God, in a way that's apart from Jesus, in a way that is apart from Scripture. It's almost as though we've been saved, but saved is sort of this spiritual category that doesn't deal with life, and we're looking for some kind of new salvation, some, something more tangible, something that we can celebrate every day, or maybe even just once a week, something that we might even be able to celebrate more than Jesus, more than gathering together with His people. And in some ways, it might be kind of silly, and I, I, I hope I'm not stepping on too many toes, but it might be something like your football team, right? And I don't know which team yours is. I know it's one of two. I don't know which team yours is, but how are they doing this season? And based on your reaction, I can tell which team it is. But we look for salvation, something to be excited about or enjoy in the world around us. And if our team is doing well, we're having a good week, we're having a good season, we're having a good fall. And if our team is doing poorly, Well, people just stay out of our way a little bit more often. They don't come near our house on Saturday night. They know not to call you until after you've been to church, maybe on a Monday. But there are other things that we look at too. Every few years, I don't have this down to a statistic, but I would guess maybe eight, ten years. Every ten years or so, there's a new personality test that comes out. And we look at this new personality test and we say, this is what gives me identity and meaning. This is what allows me to move forward in life in a way that I can actually 
visualize, in a way that I can tactilely feel, in a way that actually improves my relationships with my spouse or, or my children or my coworkers. And as long as we can understand that, that, that deeper identity of what we think, we find a kind of salvation, something that allows us to move forward. Or perhaps, and this is not a statistic, but I guess the number would probably be lower, the new diet. The new, the new diet that comes out maybe every five years or seven years, whether it's keto or whether it's intermittent fasting or whether it's the Atkins diet from a long time ago. And maybe some of us still practice the Atkins diet because it was for us something that brought our life to a place where we could tangibly see it improved the things around us. And all of these things might be good and, and well-valued in their own right, as long as they are properly ordered, as long as they fit in the list on the right scale and not rising up above not taking the place or not superimposing itself over things that are actually more significant. But a lot of us, whether Christian or unchristian, tend to seek salvation in promises that the world makes, promises that the things around us make for making our life better. Technology, cell phones, this is going to make your life better. A new watch, a watch that connects to your cell phone. Eyeglasses, mine don't, but eyeglasses that are able to connect to your cell phone so that you're always able to see something in front of you. And I don't know if anybody has that yet, but there are people who want this and buy into this as the way that will make their life better. If only while I'm walking the streets of New York City, I can see my directions on my eyeglasses, then my life would be better. And the further you are removed, the further you are removed from that fact, if you still have an analog clock and if you still have a not smartphone, one that flips up and you have to type in all the numbers, the further you are removed, the easier it is for you to see the lie of what that promises. Not the lie that it might be valuable in some way, and I'm sure that it really would, but the lie that the promise it offers is merely empty. The promise it offers is merely empty. It's easy for us to look around and to see people who characterize these things that Paul has listed for us. In fact, I don't want to encourage any sort of judgmentalism, but if you'll bear with me for a moment, I think we can avoid it. I'm going to read this list. And when you know somebody who is characterized by this, no names please, but when you know somebody who is characterized by one of these attributes, can you just raise your hand for me? But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Yeah. It's easy. We know people 
We could probably put a name to almost every one of these attributes, even if there are, uh, especially in the RSV, there are some words that we don't typically use anymore. But here reading the ESV, even here there's some words that like, well, that, that description, that attribute is so pointed that, first of all, I know somebody who is exactly like that, but second of all, I never use that word. It would be too obvious. It's too clear to our minds what that person is like when we see how they act in that way. And we know people who are characterized by these attributes. But if we pause a moment and move a little bit slower, if we ask the Holy Spirit to guide our own minds, then sometimes I think we might be able to see that we fit one or two or three of these as well. I won't ask you to do it this time, but I am going to read it a little bit slower. And I want you to consider yourself. Do I sometimes characterize this? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As I read and reread and studied upon this list, I found myself seeing hints of myself in all of them to some extent. Maybe some of them less than another, but there are some that, wow, if I'm not careful, that could take over my life. Anybody else with me? But for the grace of God, there I go also. And sometimes we say such a statement in a sort of, if God had never saved me in the past, if God had never brought me out of where he brought me from and put me in this, well, in this open place upon the hill where he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies, if God had never done that before, then I would be there right now. And yet, God's spirit is still working in you. Jesus said that when he goes, he's going to send the Spirit, and it's going to dwell with you. And then he tells his disciples, remain in me, and I will remain in you. God is saving you even now. Yes, God has saved you in the past, but God is saving you even now. And you're given the opportunity at times to, to look at your life and to look at the people that you're interacting with, and you have a choice to make. You can either take the wide road, the path that is easy, that many travel down, the way that leads to destruction, or you can take the narrow path. It's tight. Not many people go down there. It's hard, and you don't want to, but it's the way that leads to life. 
And yes, God saved us in the past, but the Holy Spirit who dwells with us now is continually saving us, is continuing to, the way we say it, sanctify or make you holy, continuing to purify you by burning out those things that are evil and wicked and don't belong to the people of God so that you might be better prepared to enjoy God when he returns and remakes the heavens and the earth. If God came back right now, would you even enjoy it? If God came back right now and all of the things that you've been indulging in were no longer allowed, would you even like living in his kingdom? But the Holy Spirit in your life is making you into such a person that you will. He's making you into such a person that you will love and enjoy God more than you ever thought you could. And everything that you thought you enjoyed here, you realize is just a foretaste. It's just, it's just the, the chef's spoon sampling the stew. And one day, you will be able to enjoy a full bowl that keeps on getting deeper and keeps on getting more flavorful. God, the Holy Spirit, is continuing to save you is continuing to sanctify you, continuing to make you holy so that when you see him face to face, you will love to see his face. Because otherwise, we are like the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai who see the storm clouds rising above them and thunder and lightning, and they hear the voice of God booming, and they say, Moses, we don't want God to talk to us. He's too scary. But for you, God is making you into a people, as we just sang, who do not fear because he has called you his child. He has called you his child. And yet, the text remains for us that Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, listen, in the last days there are going to be people who give themselves over to godlessness. And the last days might be, maybe it's like a future thing, which maybe that's right now, but really the whole, the whole time after Christ is viewed as the sort of last day, the final time, the, the hour of salvation, or even the hour of judgment. The day of the Lord is already upon us because He walks among us in the life of one another. Yes, He is raised and He is seated at the right hand of God, but in you, He encounters the world. In you, he spreads his gospel across through your mouth, through the words that you say, and he builds kingdom things with your hands, with the muscles that he has given to you. God is already doing things. But in this last day, there are those, there are those who are characterized by these. People will be lovers of self, etc., etc. And so what do you do? What do you do when you encounter someone who is, as people would say today, toxic? What do you do when you encounter somebody who embodies some of these characters to such an extent that you can't find yourself with them? Well, Paul gives a word to Timothy. Avoid them. Avoid them. Now, this, this phrase, avoid them, should be, should be contextualized a little bit, right? Because Timothy is an elder of the church in Ephesus, right? He's responsible for installing leaders. In fact, in the first uh, letter to Timothy, you see that Paul gives description of the kinds of people that Timothy is supposed to lift up as, as leaders of the congregation. So avoid them is probably in some sense like Paul telling Timothy, 
don't put them in charge. Don't put them in leadership. Don't lead them. Don't give them more responsibility than they should have. It's probably less to do with distance yourself, make yourself uh, absent from that person. If that person walks in the room, you walk out the other side. And there are those people, right, that we know, and we know they're going to be somewhere, and we feel like when they come in, it brings out the worst in us. And there's a place for wisdom, but there is not a place for hatred. There is not a place for holier-than-thou or you aren't the right kind of person. You aren't good enough to be around me. Because as we just exercised doing, we saw that we ourselves fit into that category at times as well. And that if God had never come to us, we would still be there, convinced of our own righteousness. So Paul tells Timothy, avoid them. And we might use something that Jesus said, or that is said of Jesus. After he after he uh, feeds the 5,000, after he does a bunch of miracles and people are seeing how good he is, they want to set him up as king over Judah. And the text says in the, gospel of, in the Gospel of John, but he did not trust or he did not entrust himself to any man. And maybe we can use that here. Avoid them. How do you avoid those that you're supposed to share the love and grace of God with? Well, you still spend time with them. You're still around them. You still proclaim the gospel to them, but you don't entrust yourself to them. You don't let your identity, you don't let your walk with God be determined by how they relate to you. You don't entrust your heart to them because as I'm sure all of us to some extent are aware, humans fail. And even when you choose somebody that you can respect and you can honor, a mentor of some kind, a leader, even a spouse, after you've entrusted yourself to them, many of us have been heartbroken. Because yet again, we are searching for salvation in a tangible way. You entrust yourself to someone who ends up becoming an empty promise, not because of anything they said about themselves, but because of what you assumed they would be able to do for you. But the text continues. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. We have in this, in this part two images, right? So if you, if you need a picture, if you need to clarify sort of what this means to uh, that there's people in these last days that are like this, this category of what we might just say godlessness, right? Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, or um, all of these attributes. They're deceitful, they're wicked, they're slanderous, they say bad things against other people. All of these attributes. There's this group over here. Avoid them. Get away from them. Because among them, in those people, in that group of people, don't entrust yourselves to them because here's two images. One, they're like people who creep into a house and take a woman. 
right? They rob the house blind for obvious purposes. Second, they're like Janice and Jambres. Anybody know who Janice and Jambres is? Janice and Jambres. They were traditionally considered to be the, the wizards, the mages in Pharaoh's temple. So if you recall the story when Moses is coming to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, and he has his advisors there, his magicians there, and they say, no, Moses, doesn't, Moses can't do anything that we can't do. Look, watch this. And Moses turns the entire water, all the water to blood. And they say, we can do the same thing. And with their magic arts, with their dark arts, they're able to turn water to blood as well. And they say, and, and Moses says, well, watch this. And he throws down his staff, and his staff turns into a serpent. And Janus and Jambres says, well, we can do that. So they throw down their staffs, and with their dark arts, they're able to turn their staff into, uh, into serpents as well. Does anybody remember what happens next? Moses' snake slithers up and eats both Janus and Jambres' staff, right? Now, there's something going on here because, as we talked about when we were in Acts, in Ephesus, there's a lot of magician magic going on, right? Sacred symbols that they think brings power. And so here, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, look, here's this group of people, and among them are people, two kinds of people, those who steal women from, from homes, from houses, and or people who are like Janus and Jambres, who have this appearance of power. They're able to, to do these things that are noticeable. And probably the, the sneaking into houses and, and stealing the women has something to do with Ephesus as well, that had this, this high-powered matriarchy. And so uh, those who, <clears throat> uh, the, the high priestesses of, the, of Artemis of the Ephesians were all women. And so those who were raised, Jewish perhaps, were raised in a way that was different from those, uh, the, the women who were high priestesses or just priestesses of Artemis, to show a different path, to show that they, they aren't going to be pulled into the life of Artemis. And so perhaps it is saying, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, look, you have your women and you have the magic that surrounds you, or you have the, the women of Artemis, the, the women who set themselves up as, as powerful and you have the, the magic that sets itself up as something that can really do something. But you, Timothy, and your church, you know, you know that that is not the way of life. They'll steal the women and they'll bring them into the temple of Artemis and they'll make them into something that is entirely different. These women, these weak women, it's called, or, or sometimes silly women, or, or just women who don't know any better because they've been separated for their whole life. They're, in other words, naive because they don't have the experience that comes with life living outside of the home. Timothy, these women, or the people are like the people who steal those women, who bring them aside, who, who, who proclaim sweet-sounding words like, we can, we can give you life, we can give you experience, we can bring you riches, you can, you can be in our temple, and you can, you can be set up, you can be worshipped, you can be beautiful, and everybody can love you don't listen to them. These men will steal the women from beneath you, from underneath your house. Or magic. You remember the talismans of Artemis. You remember how you can do all of these things, how people would be healed by the Artemis, by Artemis of the Ephesians, and, and they would bring the sick, and, and people would actually be healed. But you know, because when I was there in Ephesus, you know that there were healings that they couldn't do. 
They tried to say, they tried to invoke the name of Jesus almost as if it was a secret word that they could use to abracadabra something into existence. But Jesus doesn't work like that. In fact, Jesus comes to the weak and the downtrodden, and he lifts them up in a way that is more substantial than any temple can promise. And Jesus comes to those who are broken and hurting, and he actually heals them from the inside out. Among this group of people, there are those who want to take take what looks to be good, but is really your own destruction. Has anybody ever overcooked a turkey? Maybe this is just my experience, but you know when you overcook a turkey and it hasn't been properly basted and it's all dry and it looks good coming out of the oven. Maybe it's a little bit charred, nothing, nothing a little slice of the knife won't fix. And then you poke your fork in and it's crack, crack, and then it just deflates. Have you been there? Am I the only one? Or sometimes with baking, this happens too. Uh, if, if, if you add too much baking soda or um, yeah, baking soda or baking powder, it puffs up pretty big, and then you cut into it. If it's still hot, it still looks good. But if you let it cool on the counter, after a while, you see that it sort of deflates. Mm-hmm. These things have the appearance of godliness. They have the appearance of power that they can actually accomplish something or do something. They can empower your women. They can heal your sick. But listen, you see what they're about. You see their character. In fact, you feel their character in your own lives. And you know that if you give into it, you may get your way for a time. If you slander, others might think of you a little more highly for a little while. If you love pleasure, you might be able to enjoy some things a little bit more. If you are a lover of yourself, others will think that you're really something. If you take care of yourself that much, or if you're conceited, if everything has to be, done, be about you, wow, they've really done a lot. Wow, their, their life is so interesting. Or if you're arrogant, people might think they really know what they're up to. But any of us who have been tempted or given in at all to any of those vices, we know that the victory is short-lived. You may have gained respect. You may have gained pleasure. You may have gained some semblance of power. But that snake is going to be ate up. There's another snake. There's another power. There's another one who raises the women. And his name is Jesus. Jesus provides something that all of those things can never accomplish for you. And yet we give our heart to promises of empty salvation. Do not give your heart to empty gospels, but trust God's Spirit to bring salvation through Jesus. Do not give your heart to empty gospels, but trust God's Spirit 
to bring salvation through Jesus. Too often we look at the things around us in the world and we think, if only I could. Do not give your heart over to those things. Do not entrust yourselves to them. They may have good news. They may have good news at 2 a.m. infomercials on how this will radically change your life. Do not give your heart to them. Trust God's Spirit to bring salvation through Jesus. And here's how that looks. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, even my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You, all of you who can hear my voice, you know better. You know that the way, uh, that the way of wickedness, the way of godlessness, will not bring anything you truly desire. If you think of the things you most want in life, the things that your heart reaches out toward, all of the shams of the godlessness are just fake copies. They're counterfeit examples of something that you might be able to gain in a more steady, slow, true, and good way. If you want acclaim or honor, honor Jesus and he will raise you up at the last day. If you want to be known and loved and adored, Love Jesus, and he will give you a rock with a name that only you can read upon it. He will call you his child. If you want to have family and friends, come to Jesus where you will be brought into the household of God, where there will be many generations, thousands of generations of people from every tribe and kindred and tongue, every race and ethnicity across the globe will be your brother and your sister. If you want anything, anything at all. You can settle for the quick and easy way, the empty gospel, but you will miss out on the true promises. You'll miss out on the true promises that Jesus brings in. Yes, you may suffer persecution, and sometimes we don't really believe that, or sometimes we don't really see that here and today, or at least like we see it in other places. Across the globe and in other places of the world, people are currently actively persecuted. Their life is on the line for when they believe in Jesus. But some of us, we're not ready for that. Some of us, if persecution came tomorrow with an iron fist, 
we would put on a cloak and walk the other direction. Some of us would trust an empty gospel, life in the here and now, instead of suffering and persecution because all who love Jesus, all who desire to be godly will suffer and be persecuted. And we would choose an easy and simple gospel, the false promises, and we would neglect loving and trusting Jesus, who is our life. You have followed my teaching, Paul says. The things I've said, the words that I've spoken about Jesus, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct, the way that I live my life, the things that I do, the, the, the way that I make my life in, in care for others and in, in, in providing good to people. You have watched or you have followed my aim in life, love, the glory of God, the worship of Him, the love of others. As Jesus said, love God and love neighbor. You have followed my aim in life. You have followed my faith, my faith, that it is Jesus and only Jesus. He is the secure. He is the rock upon which we can stand. You have followed my patience my patience, the way that you endure the world around you, unswayed by its temptations, unswayed by its offerings, unswayed by the turmoil. You have followed my patience. You have followed my love, my love, giving myself over to the things that truly matter. You have followed my steadfastness, knowing that even when things get difficult, even when, even when winds and storms rise around us, we can stand firm in Christ, my steadfastness. All of those sound good, right? Don't we want to be those kinds of people? We want to be patient people, we just don't want to learn the patience. We want to be people, but it's hard to get to the place. But the next one is, holds no bars. It doesn't pretend. None of us want to be persecuted. None of us want to suffer. None of us want to be looked at as weird or as different. None of us want to be excluded from the club, but all who desire to live a godly life will. So here's an encouragement that may not sound like one. It's supposed to happen. So when it does, take heart. If you find that you're looked down on or if you find that people think you're strange or if you find that you weren't invited to that party, especially Teenagers, when you get to college, it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be different. But it comes with a promise. The things you give up now, the empty gospels that you do not believe, that you do not give your heart to, that you do not trust, the things that you give up now are building you into such a person that will enjoy 
all the blessings God has to offer. And in fact, you begin to enjoy some of those here and now, tainted though they may be with sin and evil. You begin to enjoy them here and now. And there's a promise. That those who settle for the empty gospels, like the overcooked turkey, they will continue to be shriveled up on the inside. They're going from bad to worse. And though the outside, the exterior varnish may look nice, some of us can even point back to our own high school, our own high school. And those that we knew in those days who perhaps were the star of whatever aspect they were, perhaps now you look on at Facebook and you think, well, I wanted to be them then, but I'm not sure I want to now. Or perhaps that lost love interest that you have, the old flame, you thought that would be the, would be the only thing that would bring joy and pr- pleasure and passion to your life, and they're gone now. And you see them on Facebook and you think, dodged a bullet with that one. But the temporal aspect is not all. There is more to this life than what you see and touch and feel and even what you can think. There is more. And God's Spirit brings it to you now as He builds it in you, in your character. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, I think in... If you're familiar with this verse, you're probably familiar with it because it's used to substantiate the authority of Scripture, right? It came from God, so therefore we should trust that it's true, real, and accurate. And that is is true, and that's that's something that this passage is, is pointing out or highlighting. But the Bible isn't true and good and accurate over on a shelf. The Bible is true and good for you. And so when Paul tells Timothy, remember what you have learned, what you have believed, remember from whom you've learned it, he tells him, and this is how you can know. Scripture. If you want to know God, read what God breathed out. The same Holy Spirit that breathed out Scripture through the pens of the apostles, dwells in you and can liven, can illuminate the Scripture so that when you read it, you see how it is good for you. So that you can see that it really is good for telling me when I've been wrong, for rebuking me, for saying, ooh, I should not have exasperated my children that it's good for correcting, saying, well, okay, now that I have, what should I do? Ask forgiveness. Confess your sins to one another. Restore right relationship. 
that it's good for training. Well, how can I make sure that I don't do that again? How can I know how to care for them in a way that doesn't make the situation worse just because it's a little bit funny? But how can I care for them in love? Training. In righteousness, so that unlike the deflated turkey, you become like God. So that you are ready to go out into the world and to interact with anybody who is on either side of the spectrum, whether they're good and better than you and you feel a little bit of envy, or whether they're terrible and they're the worst person you want to be around. But God's scripture makes you into such a one that you can go and you can navigate both as the one who walks the path of wisdom down the center, and you're able to talk and converse and to proclaim the gospel to those who need it most. And you're able to learn from those who have gone ahead who are doing it better than you are. God's scripture has made you, can make you into such a person that you have not an empty gospel, not an empty promise, but that your salvation, which continues now and will continue on, is actually becoming for you something good refined like silver, purified like gold, so that you are beautiful, so that if the veil was removed and people could see how you truly look, they would be tempted to worship because you look just like Jesus. These are the words Paul wrote to Timothy. And they are the words to you. Do not give your heart to empty gospels, but trust God's Spirit to bring, bring salvation, true salvation, through Jesus Christ. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.